Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm very excited that we're back doing this show. You know, this is where we talk about what's happening up and down the ballot, what's happening in state legislatures and other races around the country. There is a lot on the ballot this year, and there's also an enormous amount happening in state legislatures. We had a lot of big wins in 2022 at the state legislative level and we are seeing results from that work in a few minutes i'm going to be joined by jesse ulok bari who is the co-executive director of the state innovation exchange for an update on some of the progressive work that's underway in key states you know it really matters when democrats take control of state legislatures good things can happen Later in the show, we're also going to be talking to Abe Rakoff, who's the managing director of Run for Something. That is an incredibly important organization. I'm a huge fan of their work. Just turned six years old, uh, the organization. Abe's going to give us an update on their first round of 2023 endorsements and what to look out for this year. There's a lot on the ballot. Every year is an election year. There's no such thing as an off year. Elections are important everywhere. And we're also going to be talking to an old friend, of mine who's making his first appearance on SiriusXM Progress as a state representative, J.D. Shulton from Iowa. He's going to fill us in on what's happening in the Iowa State House, and it's really ugly. So stay tuned. We've got a great show on SiriusXM Progress. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. 
Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. As I mentioned in the open, we are seeing a lot of bad news coming out of state legislatures around the country, but there's actually a lot of really great stuff happening too, and that's because of the 2022 elections. Joining me right now to dive into some of this is Jesse Labari. He's the co-executive director of the State Innovation Exchange, and I'm really glad to have you back on the show. Jesse, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Joe. Well, let's start. You and your colleagues at uh, State Innovation Exchange 6, as people refer to it, have really been on the front lines of really pushing a lot of progressive policy. And one of the things that really jumped out to me is a program you've got called Fund Our Future. And it's pretty exciting and it's pretty innovative and it shows the kind of work that can be done in state legislatures around the country. Tell our audience about that program and what it's all about. Yeah, for each of us in our communities, there are things that we know that we need, whether they're good, safe public schools or it's community programming or affordable housing. And the way that we get to those really important end goals in public policy is by having the money to pay for them, whether that's making sure that the car size pothole is filled or you have bridges that don't collapse in your neighborhood or, you know, you have the kind of robust, beautiful community that all of us dream to live in. It requires investment. And so over the course of the last year, we've decided to take on the effort to move wealth taxes across the country and make sure that the states um, in absence of federal action are really making sure that the ultra wealthy pay their fair share. You know, you don't have to look too far from a, a headline to see that billionaires often are finding ways to get around their responsibility to invest in our communities. And over the last few decades, they've been rigging the rules in states and in Congress to make sure they don't have to pay their fair share. So as we you know, contribute to build the communities we want, they have a $0 tax bill at the end of the year, and that's just fundamentally wrong. So our effort is uh, designed really to change that dynamic and make sure we can fund our future. And, and that is in the most clear terms for us. And that means it's a, a national movement led by states. We've been working with grassroots organizations, advocates on the ground to design different types of policy initiatives that ensure that the wealthy pay their fair share. And so we introduced uh, legislation in eight states. We had legislative sponsors work side by side with their community organizations and coalitions. And those proposals are now moving forward. We're really excited to see where it goes. That is really exciting. And one of the things you just mentioned at the end is really important. And it's something you have you and I have talked about in the past on this show. You're not just dictating from the national group to the states to do these and handing out a model legislation. You're actually encouraging the states do it on your own and build the coalition. And talk a little bit about that. Yeah, this is where we think democracy really plays a key role. At the State Innovation Exchange, we talk every single day that we need a participatory democracy that responds to the needs of the people in our communities. And, and that means 
there's not just a one size fits all approach. And so when we've worked with legislators, particularly on this Fund Our Future campaign, it looks like things uh, like um, changing the um, the inheritance tax or looking at ways to uh, tax um, gains on, on capital gains. Uh, those kinds of efforts are specific to the unique tax code in a state, but it allows the people within the community to set the terms of how they wanna build our view and and really thinking about the practice of democracy is as important as the policy itself. And I think this is an aspect that SIX has really been leaning into. We, we need a, a difference in American governance, whole scale. This idea that wealthy elites will control the policy debates, they'll set the terms and they'll rig the rules in their favor, that needs to go away. And that needs to go away on the left as much as it goes away on the right. And so part of us, uh, our work at SIX is to change the paradigm of American governance. And that means creating the conditions where legislators are the right partners for their community members, people who are directly impacted by issues. They can dream together, they can create a policy vision, and then legislators are really well equipped to then turn those visions into reality by passing public policy and resourcing that into law. We we don't use a, a copy-paste model, and maybe I'll say, I'll use it in, in yeah, a metaphor that's been helpful. Uh, because we're often compared to Alec, folks look at Alec and they say, we should have something like that on the left. My view is that Alec is McDonald's. It's a drive-through. If you eat it every day, you're going to get really unhealthy outcomes. And when Six came along, folks said, just be Burger King. That doesn't help our democracy by saying hey, there's only a, a limited set of policy ideas that will work. Um, do the drive-through, do the copy-paste. Uh, you know, we're more like a HelloFresh model. You have to have the right ingredients, you have to have the recipe, but putting in the work will change your health outcomes. You actually have to learn how to cook. You have to figure out how to, to do the work of democracy. And ultimately you'll change how people feel about American governance. And you can look at an effort like Fund Our Future where you have eight states across the country that have introduced wealth taxes at the same time, but you're building the capacity of people on the ground to fight for the effort and to, hold ground when it passes and make sure it gets implemented in the way that we desire. It's that kind of broader movement work that is necessary that uh, SIX is really eager to jump into. It's really so critical. And when you mention ALEC, ALEC is, for our listeners, the American Legislative Exchange Council. It is an entity on the right that has been funded by major organizations, major corporations, and they have really dictated state policy around the country. And they do very much a cut and paste model. I can tell you from some of the issues I've worked on, you can always tell when an ALEC bill is moving. And it is a very top down approach. And one of the things I'm, I'm really struck by in this effort on a wealth tax, Jesse, is that you're bringing it right to the places where people see the direct impact of what their funding does for them. I mean, money does come from Washington, certainly, but it's implemented at the state level. And we're having a debate in Washington right now about the debt ceiling and, you know, what's going to happen. And one of the things that's almost completely left out of that conversation is you can actually increase taxes on people who aren't paying it. President Biden has been talking about that more and more, fortunately, because that's the reality. We can have nice things. We just have to pay for it. And the people need to pay their fair shares. It doesn't seem like a lot to ask. What kind of reception are the legislators around the country getting from their efforts on this kind of legislation? There is broad public support across party affiliation for increasing taxes on the ultra rich. 
we polled in all of the states that we introduced legislation and worked with our partners at the State Revenue Alliance and uh, on the ground partners in each state. And in the 60, 70% range, folks are saying, yes, we need to see the wealthy pay their fair share. It's notable for us that you know the wealthy are not paying their fair share, but they can buy rocket ships to space or they can buy Twitter. Um, and it's really clear that because we've seen an erosion of a progressive stack tax system, the outcomes are unfortunately stark in our communities. I'll share, I live in Pittsburgh, uh, the place where bridges collapse and buses are swallowed whole by sinkholes. That is a failure of public policy and public resource because we've seen tax code shift. And that's an important aspect here. You don't have to look very far, whether it's your neighborhood school or looking at you know, the folks who are unhoused in your community driving to work every day it's clear that there's a failure of public policy in our communities. And in large part, it's because we're not resourcing um, our, our vision of the world in the way that we need to. And I think this is an important aspect. Uh, one of the champions we've been working with is Senator Noelle Frame. And she says really clearly, just because it's a difficult thing to do doesn't mean it's impossible. We do difficult things all the time. And it really matters where the money comes from. Uh, if you're a person who's working two jobs and contributing your fair share, uh, that's important. Each of us do that. And then you have these ultra wealthy folks who are really moving around the, the, the globe in a way that says, I have no responsibility here. And that's fundamentally untrue. Each of us have a responsibility to our community. Absolutely right. Well, this is exciting. And uh, I love hearing about it. I'm also interested. I know one of the issues that SIX has been really uh, on the forefront of over the past several years, and it's become all the more important is reproductive rights. And this is, of course, you know, an issue that is in the wake of the Dobbs decision has really come down to the state level across the country. You have at your organization, the Reproductive Freedom Leadership Council. Talk about the work you're doing on that issue, which is just incredibly important right now. Yeah, our our team at SIX has been working at the forefront of reproductive rights, health and justice, really um, since our earliest years. The idea here, and, and we saw the writing on the wall yeah, six years ago that said, if we do not act now, if we do not engage on the issue of state level protections for abortion access, we will see the Supreme Court move and and we will see many protections fall to the wayside. So Dobbs for us was a near certain outcome. And we organized to make sure that states could have a response, knowing that the federal government would not be as quick to respond. That's meant for us a whole host of things. You know, we we put in an amicus brief around the uh, Dobbs decision. Nearly a thousand legislators signed on to that with us to, to make their their perspective clear. And it was the most state legislators on record ever at the Supreme Court for abortion access. But beyond that, we've really taken this moment to find opportunities to think about a world beyond Roe. And I think this is where many of our legislators and the partners that we've been working with have been going. Roe was a right on paper, but was not a right guaranteed in practice to many people, especially folks of color and low income folks, people in rural areas who didn't have access to you know, abortion care or other forms of reproductive health care. And so this is a moment of reckoning where we're saying Roe created a floor, but it didn't really create the kind of real conditions for folks to access the care they need. We're really proud to say 
that we've been hosting these rapid response rooms that allowed states in different contexts, those that might be hostile to abortion access, states who have some ability to move proactive measures, and those who are on the front lines of maybe the vanguard uh, of protecting reproductive rights, health, and justice in their states. And by doing these rapid response rooms, we've been able to support legislators to move bold policy immediately after the, the fall of Roe with the Dobbs decision. But just last month, we were able to see states like Minnesota move to codify abortion protections in law. And it's it's that quick work that says, let's not just codify in law, but what would make this, this right real? Is there an ability to access this care in your community? Is there ability to see different kinds of resourcing? Is there a way to protect to make sure that if you receive care, your information isn't um, given away? A whole host of ways for us to really enhance the protections but make it real. There are many folks who access abortion care throughout their life for a whole host of reasons, and this is a healthcare issue. And so we've been approaching it with a broad view of saying, how can we actually make sure that folks receive the care they need? What does it look like to build a broader movement that includes the voices of folks who are directly impacted by this day by day? And the legislators who are leaning on the front lines are seeing significant wins. Minnesota is the one that comes to mind because they just passed their bill and got it signed. Um, I think they were the quickest in the country to do so. And Minnesota, let's just remind everyone, Minnesota can do this because there is now a trifecta. They have a Democratic governor, they had a Democratic House, and they picked up the Democratic Senate in November. This is why elections matter. And, you know, Jesse, I think one of the things that's changed, I've noticed over the past few years, and I know you've been a legislator in the past, is there is a much more focus on what's happening at the state level among progressives. And I think Dobbs is a shining example of what happened. That came from a state law. The action in this country right now is at the state level. Unfortunately, on the other side, they are using the states to pass onerous legislation, relying on the fact that they can go to Trump judges and the Fifth Circuit and the Supreme Court to uphold. But we really do need to enhance the work we're doing at the state legislative level. And on the policy front, that is what the state innovative exchange, innovation exchange has been doing so well. Let me ask you, you mentioned one thing, you you mentioned that one of the things you've been working on, particularly when it comes to reproductive health issues, is a rural focus. And every state has rural areas, every single state. And within those rural areas, there are a lot of Democrats who represent them. But what's the kind of work you and your colleagues are doing to enhance the work of the rural legislators around the country? That's a great question. We work closely with legislators in all 50 states from all backgrounds, uh, and it's a deep joy for us that we've been doing a lot of work in rural communities. We have a program around sustainable agriculture and food systems, and that's been a primary source of organizing. But as we've done the work on food systems and ag, it's become clear that there's a real hunger for a connection in rural communities beyond just food systems. Uh, You know, most folks in rural communities don't want big, large corporate farms taking over their land or their communities, polluting their water or their air. Folks also wanna have access to good schools, the ability to vote easily in their home communities. Um, And they really deeply care about how their kids are treated in schools and whether or not history is actually taught. Uh, And as we've done a lot of the relationship building with legislators in rural communities, we've had to be really thoughtful about the unique policy challenges and issues that arise there. This last year, we released a policy blueprint for rural communities that ranges from things like making sure that communities have clean air and clean water, but also that there's an ability to get folks connected through Wi-Fi programs and other things that were authorized through federal spending. 
and deep investment in our communities. I think most folks want their communities to thrive. Uh, and the way that we do that is having policy and resources that affirms that vision for all of us. And this policy blueprint we put out really helps rural legislators think about the ways that they can connect with their communities, talk about really important issues that are arising every single day in people's backyards. And um, we're seeing significant changes. I'll note that in the, the rural areas, we often hear about you know, the, the right on paper isn't the same as access. And so it's a really important charge, I think, especially for progressives to think about the way that we conceive of public policy. It's not enough to have something on the books. It has to be made real for people. And I think this becomes so true in rural communities, but it's for every single issue we work on. It is not enough just to pass the bill. We have to be thinking implementation. What does it look like to make sure that folks feel a difference when we've won a victory? And whether that's things like you know, the, the, the Wi-Fi actually making it out to your house at the end of the lane, or it's making sure that folks can receive the kind of health care they need, abortion access in their community. That is when we have won. And I think that's the right focus. That's the right horizon for us to think about when we do organizing. And I'll just say, states are where it's at. <laughs> I say this all the time, all states, all the time. But when you get involved at the local level and you say to your state legislator, I have an idea very often they're willing to work with you, to hear from you. Uh, and it is rare for state legislators to receive a handwritten note from their constituent or even a, a phone call that says, I live in your district, here's my address, here's an issue I'd like to talk about. We are so much closer to the action. State legislators are so much closer to the action. And there's a real ability for everyday people to step in and to testify. I'll share a quick story. Last night, I got a text from my mom who uh, was waiting to testify at our state capitol on an affordable housing bill. And it's because she teaches line dancing at a senior uh, a senior community and has seen the impacts of rent increases. And, and it's that kind of thing, right? Like you, your mom, your cousin could just show up to the state legislature and testify. You don't have to get to Washington, D.C. And because of the pandemic, many states allow for remote testimony if you have access to a computer. So there are ways for everyday people to plug in. And this is the kind of democracy I think we aspire to, that each of us have the ability to stand up and say, this is how our community should look. Uh, let's work at the idea level. And I think there's a lot of things that actually pull us together more than divide us. I love that. I love that story about your mother. And it is such an important point. State legislature, one of the reasons I love talking to state legislative candidates during campaign season is they're actually doing the door knocking. They are hearing what voters are talking about. And then when they go to the state capitol, they bring that with them. But also they come home every weekend. They are not like you said, they're not like members of Congress who can be buffered by staff. Most of them don't even have staff or they have a part time staff. It is really critically important for progressives always to reach out to their state legislators. It really matters. And you know that, Jesse Ulibati, because you were a Colorado state senator. I, I really appreciate you joining us today. The work you and your colleagues, uh, State Innovation Exchange, are doing is so important. And I couldn't agree more. It's one of the reasons we have this show, because the action is at the state level, Jesse. So how can folks find SIX and keep track of what you're all doing? We encourage folks to follow us uh, online and all social channels at State Innovation. So that's the at sign State Innovation. Or to come online and check out our website at stateinnovation.org. We work closely with legislators, but our resources are available to the public and are free, um, unlike ALEC or other entities that really try to control 
we are a public utility. We want folks to see that good public policy can and should happen in your state. And there are a lot of good efforts underway. And we need to celebrate those wins. I think the other thing I'll share here is it's so important for us as progressives to cultivate possibility rather than being stuck in inevitability. That's where our opposition wants us. They want us to think that their negative outcomes are inevitable. That's not true. And I say this as a 39-year-old who, within this last decade, received the the right to marry, (laughs) who was able to pass hundreds of bills into law as a young person. I got elected when I was 29. It is within our ability, it was within our reach to make sure that we have the ability to change our future. And when we start with possibility and don't get stuck in the inevitability, we're, we're curating hope as a practice. And I think that is a really important aspect of the work we do every day in states. So important. Thank you so much for joining us. Jesse Labati, co-executive director, State Innovation Exchange. It was great to talk to you, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. This is Joe Sudbury. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. It is 2023 and every year is an election year. And I'm really excited right now to be joined by Abe Rakoff, who's the managing director of Run For Something. This is an organization, you guys, that is terrific. Actually, John Fugelsang, he asked me what keeps me inspired to do the work. And I said, it's a group like Run For Something that is out there recruiting and training great candidates for offices up and down the ballot. Abe, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for all that you do. We appreciate it. Well, oh, we appreciate what you're doing. And one of the things, let's just start. This week, Run for Something announced its first endorsements of 2023. And one of the things that's great about it, and I'll tweet this list of endorsements out, too, because one of the things it shows is just how deep the bench is and the kinds of races that you're endorsing is. So talk a little bit about your first group of endorsements for 2023. Oh, for sure. We're very excited about it. And and like you said, there are no off years. There are elections all year, every year. We actually had our first win of the cycle this past Tuesday uh, when Councilwoman Joe Beth Hammond was reelected to the Oklahoma City Council. So it's February and we already have win one of the year. So we're very excited about that. Uh, so far this year, we've been, uh, endorsed 72 candidates uh, all across the country. And we have some of those races coming up very soon uh, in Chicago the uh, city council is up and we have 14 candidates on the ballot there in Wisconsin in April. um, We're really focused on our clerk work program, which recruits 
innovative pro-democracy election administration officials. Um, Wisconsin is one of the places where democracy is going to be on the ballot and we're going to be there. Um, another city like St. Louis, the Board of Aldermen has their elections on March 7th. So um, this is a constant state of getting young progressive people on the ballot and we're working on it 365 days a year, whether it is a presidential year, an off cycle year or an odd number year, there are races to be worked on. And races to be worked on that are incredibly important at a local level, obviously, but also have national implications, as you just described. So let's just put it out there. If any of our listeners want to run for something, how do they how do they do it? Talk about the program that you operate for candidates who want to get on the ballot for the first time. That's my favorite question. So thank you. Anyone listening <laughs> that wants to run for office should go to runforwhat.net. Um, and it will when you sign up, it will actually show you the offices up in your area. So if you know you want to be in public service but aren't sure what is available and what there is, it will help give you ideas. And what we do after you sign up is we support candidates with coaching, mentorship, resources. We endorse a fair number of people. Um, but whether or not we endorse, we have resources to help everyone be able to run for office. Because um, when we're recruiting these passionate, problem-solving young people to run for offices like school board, city council, and state legislature, not only is that getting us immediate better policy outcomes, we're creating a pipeline for the future, for future congressional, Senate races, gubernatorial races, and more. Uh, run for something this past election in, in 2022, we had our first alumni make it into Congress. We had two members of Congress, uh, Jasmine Crockett and Yadira Caveira, make it into, into Congress. And, and that's very exciting. That is really exciting. And it's exactly what happens on the other side. They use these offices. They're a pipeline for talent. And we actually have talent. <laughs> you, you have so much talent. You know, there was an article in um, The Guardian, and I saved it because that's how much of a dork I am. Why the biggest, why the Democrats' biggest wins of the midterms weren't in Washington, D.C. It was by Sam Levine. And there was a great quote from Amanda Littman, one of your co-founders. And it, she said, you know, inspiring wins in long shot races, inspiring more people to take on long shore races. It's especially true in the candidates. And those are young people, women, people of color. It compounds on itself. And that, you know, that was the closing quote. And it was just like, that's exactly I love that. And it's true. Like you had 500 people express interest in running for office after Election Day in 2022. That's the kind of thing that that kind of energy is so critical to making change in this country, making progressive change. Oh, definitely. And it's why we do what we do. Overall, since we launched in 2017, uh, 125,000 people uh, have come through, signed up on runforwhat.net to run for office. And we've we've endorsed over 2,500 of them across all 50 states. We're now up to over 11,000 elections won and over 800 candidates that are across 48 states. Um, and all of them are under 40, which is just getting the next generation into office, which is something that we're, we're very interested in doing and what we're focused on. So, Abe, you mentioned some of the um, you know, members of Congress who came up to run for something. What were some of the other big successes from 2022 f- for, for you and your colleagues? Um, we have a bunch of them. So 
we have Heather Bauer in South Carolina, who was the only Democrat to flip a seat in the state legislature there. We have uh, Nabila Sayed, who flipped her district from red to blue in Illinois and was the first uh, Muslim and first South Asian woman elected to the Illinois state legislature, uh, and she's 23 years old. We have uh, Rua Roman, who is the first Palestinian and Muslim woman elected to the Georgia House of Representatives. The list sort of goes on and on. And we're already working on it this year. In, in Chicago, uh, we endorsed Corey Dooley, who would be the youngest alderman on the Chicago City Council. One of the reasons he's running is he is a survivor of gun violence. He was shot four times by his stepfather, who ambushed his family. Doctors gave him a 1% chance to live. And now he wants to serve his community to, to take on those issues and more. We have people all over the country that have these stories that are that are changing the face of legislative bodies and changing the outcomes for people across the country that just have a different perspective that hasn't been heard before. It's so critically important, especially as we're seeing in so many state legislatures around the country, these attacks on people of color, on LGBTQ community, on you know, anyone who's different, really, then, you know, it's so maddening to watch. And that's why it's so critically important to have these kinds of wins. Now, you've mentioned some of the races that are on the ballot. And one of the states that is really incredibly important in 2023 is Virginia. All 100 seats in the House of Delegates are up. All 40 seats in the state senator up, the Republicans took control of the state house in 2021 with by a 52 to 48 margin, winning a couple of those seats by just around 100 votes. So you've already started endorsements in Virginia. Talk a little bit about that for us, Abe. Virginia is seen across the country as sort of a bellwether of what's going to happen in the more on your election. So it's something that's vitally important. And a lot of good policy has come out of Virginia when we were able to flip the legislature and hold the governor's seat. So it's something that's vitally important. We have a number of endorsements in for House of Delegate, for Virginia Senate. We have people running for re-election, and it's something that we know if we can flip the, the House of Delegates there and flip the state Senate, then the governor's race comes up in two years, and we can start going back to what the progress that we were creating in Virginia with these down-ballot races that was really setting the stage for the rest of the country. Um, Virginia kind of goes first because... It is unique in, the, in these off-year elections where, where the whole legislative body is up. It created, whether it was voting rights or reproductive rights or any kind of justice issue, it, it sort of started in Virginia when we flipped it. And now we want to start this year to flip it back and then, and then know that there will be people that win these districts now to help us run the governor's race in two years. So incredibly important. And, and it really does. And, and I think the way you just described that is really important because, you know, what happens at the state legislative level, Virginia, when it had a Democratic trifecta, was pushing all kinds of progress, passing all kinds of progressive legislation. Right now, fortunately, the Democratic state Senate is in the control. The state Senate is controlled by Democrats, had a big win earlier this year when Aaron Rouse won a Republican seat, an open Republican seat. And they've been able to stop the Yunkin agenda extreme Yunkin agenda. I mean, this week he's pushing a bill that would allow for tracking of women's menstrual cycles. I mean, that's how extreme this has been. But it's also (laughs) they've also been able to shut down his presidential aspirations. So what happens at the state legislative level definitely has national implications. So a break off from run for something 
What are some of the takeaways for our audience? What to watch out for this year? What can people do who want to get engaged and get involved? Uh, I think first and foremost, it's there are thousands and thousands of positions that are on the ballot this year, next year. So if you care about your community and you have something you want to run on, think about running. Go to runforwhat.net. If you want to support Run for Something in general, go to runforsomething.net. And you can support these candidates that are putting their name out there. It's a very hard thing to do to put your name in front of your community, your neighbors, your friends, your family, and say, I want to step up and do this. It's a very hard job. So we want to do everything we can to support them. Um, So if it's not you that you're listening now and you're like, I'm not a candidate to run for office. I don't think that's what I want to do. You have, you definitely have a friend that does. So tell them to go to the website, recruit your friends to run. um, And we'll make this country a better place. And that's what we're trying to do from the ground up is build this pipeline that we care about what happens in the 2023 elections immensely and what happens in 2024 immensely. And the work that we're doing will have an impact in 2034 and 2044 because we're building this bench that is vitally important for the future of this country. And that's what gets up, us up in the morning at Run for Something. And that's what we want everyone to join us in doing, whether you run or whether you want to support the people that are running or whether you're doing the recruitment for us by telling a friend who really is disgusted by the banning of books in school boards across the country, get them to run for office, get them to run for school board, get them to sign up with us. And we'll help them along the way. And that's what we're here for. It's so great. It's such important work. I couldn't be a bigger fan of Run for Something. So thank you, Abe Rakoff, for joining us today. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you to Ross and Amanda for starting the organization and for all of the folks who are running. It's so critically important. On Twitter, at Run for Something. And we'll keep in touch, Abe. I want to keeping us updated, keep us updated on what's happening. And uh, we'll have you and your colleagues and some of your candidates on over the next few weeks and months as well. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is Joe Sudbay. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We've talked a lot today about some of the good stuff that's happening around the country. We've talked about some of the elections that are coming up this year. But before we go, we have to talk about some of the stuff that's not so great happening around the country. And one of the states where some really horrific legislation is being introduced and moved is in Iowa. I am really excited right now to be joined by an old friend of SiriusXM Progress, someone who's been on this channel a lot, but this is the first time he's coming on 
as a state representative. Welcome back, J.D. Shelton. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you and um, Representative Shelton. This is the first time I've been able to call you that. So, J.D., <laughs> you've been in the session for several weeks now. What's it been like being an elected state representative in Iowa these days? Well, uh, I'll say that, I mean, if you cut the state in half in western Iowa and you take out uh, the Des Moines metro and the uh, Ames metro, there's only two of us Democrats out in western Iowa. And so uh, there's a little bit of an isolation feeling, but uh, it's a great opportunity to be down here. I, I really enjoy being at this Capitol every day. Um, but there is definitely uh, it's hard to be a freshman and it's hard to be in the minority. And so it's a bit of a double whammy. But uh uh, nevertheless, uh, we persist. <laughs> and it's important to persist because one of the things we're seeing, it's, uh, Iowa is a state that has a Republican trifecta. You have a Republican governor, Republican control of the state Senate, Republican control of the House of Representatives. And they are really pushing a very conservative right wing agenda this year. A lot of anti-LGBT legislation, lots of efforts to curtail uh, reproductive rights and health care for women. Talk a little bit about what you've been seeing and some of the more egregious stuff that you and your colleagues are fighting back against. Yeah, I, I feel we're a bit of a Petri dish on uh, conservatism uh, and, and trying to get um, that agenda going through. And, it, and to me, it's, it's not, it's, this isn't the conservative movement that we saw a decade or two ago. This is a whole new own the libs type of conservatism. And it's really just a punch down that we're seeing, and especially with the uh, attacks on the LGBTQ community and, and the don't say gay bills and outing trans kids, it's just, it's tough. And it's tough to be in the minority and, and to uh, have to face a lot of this uh, these issues every single day. But it's one of those things that we feel we're at the front lines on. And these are important uh, to know, to tell, let Iowans know that, that you are welcome in the state. And our version, the Democratic version, is for an inclusive Iowa, and that's that's why we're here every day, working our tails off to to fight back against some of the stuff. And it really, it is very much a punch down on the lips. I mean, it just seems cruel. I saw this week Ty Rushing, Iowa starting line, wrote an article, and this is the headline: In the year 2023, GOP aims to stop Iowa schools from teaching about AIDS. HPV. I mean, HPV, of course, is the human papillomavirus, which has a vaccine that has worked to reduce cancer. I mean, you, I read this and I think, do they just want people to die? And, and that sounds outrageous, but what they're doing is outrageous. Yeah, it, it's absolutely absurd. And like, just because you can't talk about it doesn't mean it goes away. And it's, right. it's just, it's unhealthy. And it's just, it's very frustrating because these attacks and the politicians behind these attacks, like they're harming the state of Iowa. We used to be a proudly purple state, and now uh, they're just pushing and doing these things of this punch down politics that just, you know, it, one of the biggest issues that people are talking about outside the Capitol is, is workforce and, and making sure we have enough workers. Well, these divisive politics is not allowing for uh, folks to move to Iowa. And it's it's just been hard to see and, and having a front row ticket to it has been tough, but it, it also reminds us of why we're here and fighting the good fight. Well, let me ask you, when you're in the legislature and these bills are coming forward, obviously there are some 
really extreme members of the Republican caucus who are pushing them. But is this the, are they all true believers? I mean, they're all supporting them. But what's the what's the vibe that you get when this kind of legislation is moving forward? Are, are they gleefully joining on or do some of them? Can you can tell just tell some of them are like, uh, you know, this is too much, even though they go along with it. I mean, yeah, there's there's definitely the outliers and the, the folks that I talk to and quote the more mainstream of, of the Republicans, um, they they definitely like know that some of these are, are too far. Uh, but at, at the same time, uh, these bills are passing through. We haven't seen any of the stuff on the floor yet, but the way things are going now, we, we don't know because they are, are bringing up stuff and, and whipping through stuff. We saw this with the school vouchers where they created a whole co- committee to, to deal with it. And then they made a, a unique rule saying anything out of that committee doesn't have to go through appropriations or ways and means. And they just whole skirted the whole way of going about our legislation. And so I don't hold or I don't hold my breath on any of this stuff because we don't know what they're going to do or, or how they're going to uh, go around the system to get some of this stuff passed. And we're just kind of ready for anything and everything right at this point. Let me ask you, J.D., you know, when you're back in Sioux City and you're talking to your constituents and they want to know, what are you hearing from your constituents, as, especially the ones who are paying attention to what's happening in the state house in Des Moines? The number one thing has been the public schools. I mean, we gave a blank check to a corporation who's going to oversee the voucher program with no uh, reporting, no mandatory auditing, no a- anything, uh, oversight of, of any ways. And so uh, in the Sioux City alone, our school, our community school uh, board has said that this is going to cut costs in Sioux City schools by 8%. And then... Uh, the following week, which was last week, we ended up uh, passing funding and Republicans uh, pushed for 3% uh, in, in the Democrats and, and most folks were trying to get 5% or more so we could fund adequately a, a lot of things. But but back in our forum, uh, I had several local stu- superintendents that said, with this 3%, we're going to have to cut jobs, we're going to have to cut teachers, and, and that's the reality of it. And so here, on one hand, we're given a blank check to to voucher program and yet we can't fully fund public education and that's the thing i mean our state quarter education um, you look at the history of the state when i graduated high school we were first in the nation in education and we're nowhere near that now and and their answer is not to improve public education it's it's to try to find alternatives and that's uh it's just the wrong direction of the state and that's what i'm hearing mostly back home that's really fascinating. And it's scary that this is what's happening to public education. But it, it's the kind of thing that does capture the attention of people. You know, I, I always find like when uh, legislators want to do things and they get them done fast, it's usually because they know there would be a backlash in the way you described how they did the voucher system. And I watched that happen. I watch it play out. You know that that's the kind of thing that the public's not going to support. So. What is it that you'd encourage? You, you know, you've been in politics for a while. Now you're in the legislature. What is it that you find helps pierce the bubble? Our constituents calling in, do they need to? What, what's the best way for people in Iowa and anywhere to participate in the process when things are happening in their legislature? 
I think just reaching out to your representatives and senators and, and having that conversation and, and showing up at forums is very important. And if, if your local uh, representative or senator doesn't show up to the forum, let that be known because uh, there should be a level of accountability. That's part of the job. And it's part of our job to go out and let folks know what's happening in the Capitol. And so I think that's still uh, incredibly important. You hear it all the time. It's true is, is contact your local uh, elected officials when there's issues like this that are so important uh, to to you or, or to uh, your state in general, because it, it's still effective. And it, it sounds so simple, but it's so daunting to people, but it really does matter. And I know listeners to our channel are, are not are, are never shy about calling into their state representatives and their members of Congress. But it's really important. And especially when you're seeing the kind of stuff that's happening and, you know, impacting education and really, like you said, just undermining the ability of the state to attract new people and threatening, literally threatening the lives of, of young queer kids. So. Well, I was just going to say I have one quick story. It just I, I was I was on a bill yesterday that we did a debate in the floor, and I gave my spiel. And uh, the other side thought this was just kind of a pass through thing, but by this was a way for a um, pretty national company to skirt the regulations uh, that they're supposed to have. And the person next to me is is very much a a conservative, but we overlap in in in, a, in our monopoly kind of belief or anti-monopoly beliefs, and he ended up voting for it because of my speech. And just so I'm just trying to tell folks out there, when you're quiet about things, folks may not hear or they won't hear. <laughs> but when you say something and speak up, you'll never know who's listening and how much you can influence. So I just wanted to say that quick little story. Well, that's a that's great, J.D., and that's a great story. And it's also, I have to say, it's great that you have the platform that you have now. You've you know, I've been following your career for several years now, and it's really I'm so glad I love when people become state legislators, because this is where the action is. I mean, we say it all the time on this show, but it really is. This is where the action is. You are on Twitter at J.D. Shulton. Where else can people find you? Oh, uh, everywhere. Uh, Instagram, uh, same at J.D. Shulton and Facebook. I believe it's Shulton's uh, number four, Iowa uh, on there. And that uh, comes from my old uh uh, congressional campaigns, Facebook, but uh, reach out to me. I'm very active on social media and uh, uh, just always appreciate you having me on. Oh, it's great to talk to you. Representative J.D. Shilton from Sioux City, District 1 in Iowa. Thanks so much, J.D. Thanks for the update and keep in touch with us about what's happening in your state legislature. Absolutely. This is Joe Sudbay. Absolutely. This has been great. It's such important work. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more on SiriusXM Progress.